This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. If I were writing an autobiography about my life as a fly fisher, I'd probably use the words of an old John Denver song for the title. Some days are diamonds, some days are stones. Well, I've had some diamond days out there in the river. It seems like there's action on every cast. Other days, not so much. It's simply stones. All I feel are tired feet from walking over the stones on the banks of the Yellowstone or Gallatin Rivers in Montana. Man, some days it seems like nothing is working. So what do you do? Well, that's our topic today, fly fishing when nothing is working. And after we talk about that topic for a bit, keep listening for our other two segments, great stuff from our listeners, and Hook Set, where we ponder a quote about fly fishing. Dave, describe one of those days when nothing is working. Uh, is it just that the fish are ignoring the fly patterns you're drifting by their noses, or is there something more to it than that? And therein lies the question. <laughs> so just recently, we were on the Big Green River in Wisconsin. And in Wisconsin, in the Driftless, there are kind of three big rivers that everybody fishes, which creates pressure on that. One's a blue, one's a big green, and the other is in Timber Coulee. But we were fishing the Big Green, and we had gotten up early. Uh, it was a Friday and made our way there. It's about four hours or so. And in my opinion, it was one of those days that we thought we were just going to nail it because the temps had risen. It was about 50 or 55. It was an overcast day, at yeah. least initially. Uh, the sun did come out later in the day. So I was thinking this is going to be a day for yeah. moving olives. And there was nobody on the water. Nobody on the water. Yeah. It, was, it seemed like it was the perfect day. Mm -hmm. So right away, since there was nothing rising, I decided to start Euro-nymphing. So I'm a fourth-rate Euro-nympher. And I did catch one on that later in the day, but the day was just uh, not hard because any day fly fishing is not hard, but I threw everything I yeah. had at them, nymphs, emergers, dries, and then I'd rotate again and nothing was working. I mean, we each caught a couple fish, but given the day, I was just perplexed. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, and did you say, too, that it just felt like the whole day was a struggle, even in some other ways? Oh, for me, it was. And I don't know. It felt like I was my... I don't know why this was, because I felt great, at least until I started fishing. Yeah. But everything was in slow motion. It felt like I was in molasses all day. So, you know, when I'd have to tie on a new rig, it would take me four times to get the knot right. Or uh, as soon as I would put on a new rig, I'd cast it, it would yeah. get caught in the brush. And then yeah. it'd be another 30 minutes until I... So it seemed like the whole day was just hard. Hard, yeah. hard, hard. I know. And I was really proud. I caught an 11-inch brown on a, on a parachute Adams. Actually, it was a purple haze. Uh, size 20, I think it was, and I was pretty happy with that. And then I get home that night, and my son, who lives in Colorado, sends me this photo. Uh, he was out fly fishing that day with a friend, and he was nymphing. I think he used a zebra midge. He, sh he had a picture of a of a almost 23-inch rainbow. I mean, oh that my thing gosh. was like a football. And I thought, what? 
Yeah, the just one kind of add injury to uh, insult. Exactly. Huh? The one thing I insult do, to injury. Sorry. Yeah, injury to insult. It yeah, could be that well, too. That you see, you you lousy fisher. Oh, that hurt. <laughs> yeah. So I do think the one thing I do miss about fishing in the driftless is in the fall the browns spawn, but they do close the season before spawning, which is good. But in the in the spring in the west you do get spawning rainbows right. in, yeah. in the driftless. You don't because mm-hmm. in general, there are yep. no uh, reproducing wild yep. rainbows. No. So only brook trout and, and brown trout. Yep. So I do miss that. So when you have that in the driftless, you're either catching something on a BWO um, or you're catching something on a nymph, I guess, right? Or yeah. caddis, but they just were not hitting. No, and I think I even switched to, uh, I, I just try and streamers as well, and that didn't... That's right, you started out yeah, with streamers. And I usually do really well on the driftless on streamers, but just nothing. And I <clears throat> I used different sizes and colors, I did all the right things, but it just didn't work. You know, it reminds me of uh, a couple years ago in the fall on the Gardner River oh, yeah. in Yellowstone Park. Remember the year before, we had... Oh my Slayed goodness, it. It was just spectacular. I mean, we... We quit the one day. We had each caught probably what thirty-five fish a piece, and was, we, we were done. So I mean, we quit by three thirty in the yeah, afternoon because so we, we thought, you know, yeah. my arm is getting tired. Oh, I know it. It's like <laughs> this is getting redundant, and so we go back the next year. Oh, this is gonna be great. I never forget that we go to Parks Fly Shop just to get a little intel, and and I needed a couple stone fly patterns. I didn't have time to tie, and said, oh, so how's the gardener fishing? You know, ready to hear him say, oh, yeah, really good. He said, oh, man, this is the worst year in 25 years. <laughs> like, ah. But you know what I thought as soon as he said yeah, that? I thought, right. you know, <clears throat> you don't know where we fish. Yeah. I'm talking to the parks, you know, Richard that, Parks. Yeah, that's right. right. But in my head, I still thought, you know, yeah. we'll still do well. And no, he and was Richard right. And Richard Parks was right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so if you get a day like that, the fish aren't taking your fly. There are only a couple of options when nothing is working. Isn't that right? I think that's right. Absolutely, that's right. And, what and by are the those way, I op- should. Oh, before we go in there, yeah. I do think if you're fishing a stream that gets a lot of pressure, and where we fish that big valley where the big green river flows through there, when we left on that Friday, there were probably 10 to 12 cars that were there that weren't there earlier in the right day. on other stretches of that river on other yeah. stretches mm-hmm. of that river so it does get a lot of pressure yeah. and so that obviously is one reason i think, I so. think that yeah. trout are more selective in those spring yeah. creeks that get pounded mm-hmm. a lot yeah they just are so that's one reason but go ahead yeah so what do you do then dave there's really two options and they're pretty simple aren't they they are pretty simple so you quit and get something to eat. Oh man, I've never thought of that. Let's do yeah, that next let's time. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's go. In fact, let's let's see if the supper clubs open at three thirty in the afternoon. That's right. <laughs> did we do that? I think we'll we have to did. talk about that in another episode. That's right. Yes, that's another episode. <laughs> so yeah. you either go eat or you make adjustments. Well, we've done both, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose we and have. I, and I don't know what the percentage is of each one, but the older you get, the more you'd rather go out to eat. Man, no kidding. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's talk about some of the adjustments that we've made that have led to 
I was going to say good days. That's true sometimes, or at least better days. I would say better days. Yeah. I think sometimes when they're not hitting, they're just not hitting. That's right. Now, I heard this from uh, a video from Peter Stitcher. So Peter Stitcher owns Ascent Fly Fishing, and I think his website is ascentflyfishing.com. And we've had him on our podcast Yeah, I think before. we've interviewed him yeah. three times. Yeah. Uh, just a terrific young. He's an aquatic biologist who it's so great to have somebody who thinks like that and knows just technically knows the insects, but he has the 30 minute rule, right? If, if you've not caught something in 30 minutes, change it up. And th this is really hard. I think when you're younger or when not younger, but when you're a new fly fisher, you just keep slinging and slinging and slinging all day long. And if it's not working, it's not working. They don't want what you have. So yeah. we did this. I may have waited maybe more than 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, but mm -hmm. it wasn't much more than that. So I started Euro nymphing. I was using a, uh, what was it? It was uh, my bottom fly. I used those tungsten weighted nymphs. I think it was a, not a uh, gosh, what was it? It was a hair's ear. And then at the top, I had a, I think a zebra midge or something nice. like that. Something really mm -hmm. tiny. Yeah. So nothing worked. So I, at, shortly thereafter, I switched to dry flies. So, or no, I started out with dry flies. Yeah, I and think then you I might switched have, to you saw a couple rising. And... But that thirty-minute rule is just a good principle. Yeah, you know, it thirty is. minutes, forty-five minutes, an hour. If they're not hitting something, do something different. Yeah, make a big change. That's for sure. What about you? Well, something else you can do, which seems really obvious, but at the risk of uh, being too simplistic. Yeah, keep moving. I mean, keep fishing, keep moving. You know, maybe you'll hit a better stretch of water. Maybe maybe it's time of day. I mean, that's how I discovered that, what we call the rainbow run on the Madison and the Bear Trap. Uh, I was out one afternoon. It was a gorgeous afternoon, and I was, I was fishing. There wasn't much action, and I just kept moving. And, and I got to that run. I had fished that once or twice before, but uh, I... Wow, I, I just hit it right. I stumbled onto it at, at the right time and realized, man, I think they're, uh, I think they're, they're holding in this as they move up the river to spawn, and wow, it was a terrific, terrific afternoon. And, and we've I, been back there many times. Oh, yeah, historically now, it seems like it's shifted a lot yeah, or a little recent years. Right, but. It hasn't been as good, but oh yeah, that was productive for so many years and. And I wouldn't have found it if I would have uh, quit. So sometimes, yeah, even though the temptation is, eh, I'm just going to cash it in and go get something to eat. Uh, no, keep at it. And uh, you know, so that's another option. So, yeah, Peter Stitcher's 30-minute rule: switch it up. You know, keep moving. Uh, what else, Dave? Another is, and this seems counterintuitive: is just go somewhere else. Now, if you're in the yeah. driftless. Within 30 minutes or 45 minutes, uh, the Driftless, of course, is in southwestern Wisconsin, southeastern Minnesota, and north is what northeastern, northeastern Iowa. Iowa. Yeah, but there are mm -hmm. just so many spring creeks. I know, yeah. especially in the Minnesota side. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, you know, you can go from uh, Canfield Creek in the Forestville Mystery State Park. You can go to the Little Jordan. You can. Go, there's just so many yeah. creeks to go to. And here's the thinking is that sometimes you think, well, if they're not hitting here, they're not hitting on other streams. That's just not true. No, it's not. We have found where, and maybe it's just because we, it was the time of day by the time we got over there, it was later in the day or something, but go somewhere else. Yep. So, mm -hmm. you know, if at all possible, 
don't fish all day with the same thing, yep. staying at the, staying in the same run and not catching anything. Yeah, we remember that day we had on the uh, gardener that was we, we, like, we got to try this. You know, we're going to prove the fly shop wrong, and of course. Uh, we proved them right. Yeah. And, and we, Although you did catch one, I didn't catch a thing. Yeah, that's true. What'd you catch it on? You caught a brown on Yeah, a... I think it was on the stonefly, maybe, yeah. egg pattern. I can't remember which now. But yeah, we, we tried different things and like, okay, this is not working. So we hightailed it over to the Yellowstone. We had a great, great day. Yeah, we this, did. The day was really we good. We really did. Yeah, so just because a gardener wasn't working doesn't mean the Yellowstone do. isn't. Yeah, for sure. Is there another? Yeah, I think one more thing that you can do, and that is to, to do a mental checklist of your best practices. Uh, I mean, I suppose you can get too introspective. Like you say, some days you can be perfect. You could be lefty cray out there and great presentation, everything else. It's just not going to happen, and you have to accept that. But I think it's worth saying... You know what? I, I just thought to go through my best practices and make sure that I'm not getting lazy or that I'm missing something. So, uh, one is, you know, am I visible to the fish or am I cast visible to the fish? I, I think you're better at this. No, I don't think. I know that you're better at this than I am. I get lazy and think, yeah, you know, that gotta see me. Uh, but you're much better in the driftless about sneaking up, getting on your your hands and knees and. And sometimes I just have to say, okay, is it possible that, that they're seeing me, that they're seeing my line? So that's one thing. Yeah, and that is a big thing on these smaller creeks. And I never learned this when I was younger because I fished the freestone rivers or creeks in the West. And sometimes it just didn't seem like it mattered. Yeah. But boy, right. on these really clear streams where trout are more selective, the spring creeks, you just have to be aware of that. So, you do. I was, I'm was. i so used to Nelson Spring Creek in Paradise Valley, south of Livingston, Montana. Good night. You can walk right up. The fish, they see you, but it's like they don't care. Uh, what they care about is you have to have a perfect presentation. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. So a second thing under this mental checklist of best practices, and I really like this. You came up with this, uh, this point here. I think it's really good. Am I in the... Am I in the zone, really, the food line? So we always say the food line, watch where the bubbles are. Yeah. Um, that's the food line. Another thing we always talk about is the hot zone. So yeah. you can be fishing a run and not catching anything, and it's because your fly is either not, or your nymph is not deep enough, or you're not in what's called the hot zone. Yeah. I remember so many times we've fished in the West where we fish a run and we're not catching anything, we're not catching anything. But when if we had a guide or when the guide was with us, you'd say, well, here's where the, you know, here's the hot zone. And sure enough, you know, after a few tries, you get it going down in this hot zone yep. and, and you start to catch it. You realize yeah. I could have spent, I could have fished two hours, not caught anything. And it was simply because I didn't have that yeah. nymph down in the hot zone. I was on the East Gallatin one time, uh, just Oh my goodness! Less than a mile from where I lived, uh, north of Bozeman, Montana, and and I was. It was a kind of a perfect September day. It was kind of damp. It was some. It was alternating between snow and and kind of light rain. And and there was a there was a run. You could see the bubbles. I mean, the food line. And there were. 
there were trout rising, but I drifted it down right in the middle of that thing, nothing. But on one of my casts, I, I got it on the, the far side of that, of, of that food line, I mean, kind of right on the edge. It was almost a seam, and, and as it was drifting down and it's going slower, boom, all of a sudden. And I, I think I caught four or five in the next few minutes. I mean, all of these were 16 to 18 inch rainbows, and it was, it was kind of an accidental adjustment. But uh, just that adjustment, I realized, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, try a little shorter cast, try a little longer cast, still in the vicinity of that, of that food line where you see the bubbles, where you see the current. But uh, man, they yeah, it changes up for whatever reasons. Th those trout may be one place. You know, one day, and and you know they they've moved over a few inches the next day, or probably that even happens from one hour to the next. So yeah, that's a really important point. So mental checklist: Am I visible to the fish? Am I in the zone? What else, Dave? Another is: Is the current causing my fly to drag? Yeah, or is my uh, clunky. Uh, 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 presentation causing the, the fly to drag. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think this is hard on bigger rivers. You know, you have multiple uh, eddies and flows yeah. across, say, 50 feet that you're yeah. casting. It's mm -hmm. also really hard on smaller creeks. I think you're a lot better at this, especially with dry fly fishing on mending. And so, so often in these runs, especially if the water is moving pretty fast, it just can't drag. And it's yeah. hard to make sure it doesn't drag. So mm -hmm. you either need to be mending as you cast it, like the sea loop or some way to mend right. it. Mm -hmm. Or as soon as it hits the water, make sure you make that mend so that the drift for the next, if it's a short run, you know, next 10 feet is drift is what what's the word it's yep. it's a dead drift so yeah drag is such a big issue and no, I, I don't really think we is. realize often how big it is there's times when fish will hit anything right can, yeah mm -hmm. but often especially in more selective in spring well often on spring creeks with more selective fish it's got to be perfect yeah it really does hey maybe one more uh item in our mental checklist and that is am i too slow or fast on my hook sets now <laughs> Uh, hopefully that's a problem you're having if you're not getting any strikes okay but sometimes have you had days like that dave i have where i man i'm getting strikes but i'm just missing one fish yeah, after I, another i missed three or four in one run on the big grain last friday uh, do you think you were too slow or too totally fast? too slow too slow yeah, yeah that's totally too that's slow. usually the problem although uh, there have been times though where I finally figured out, you know, if I'm nymphing especially, and I, I see my strike indicator, and boy, the, the first little movement, and boom, I set the hook, and I realize, you know, they're they're just kind of sipping, they're not taking it, and I need to let yeah. them take it, but then then the opposite happens. Remember that day in the gardener, that the the year it was really great when you were telling me, you know what, you're you're too slow. You need to be... They were so subtle. Yeah, the you takes need to be so setting subtle. that as soon as you see your strike indicator bob just a little bit. And and I thought, oh, yeah, right. So I'll, I'll humor you and do that. Boom. Hooked one right away. It's like, you're it's right. It's different. Yeah. It's different in, in the speed of the creek yeah. or speed of mm -hmm. the river. It's, you know, you could be... Um, your hook set could be pulling it out of its mouth, right? Mm -hmm. If you're pulling yeah. it up, you need to pull it to yeah. the side, depending on... Yep. There are so many reasons uh, why had, you're not catching I've fish. I've had trout, Dave, where maybe in the Yellowstone where we see them coming up for a hopper. And I've, I 
pull it too quickly. Yes. I get excited. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. then I'll put it back in, and it's I know it's the same fish comes up, and I wait and wait, and I let them take it. And I remember once just kind of, I'm just going to watch this, and I, I let that thing take it. And I didn't set the hook, you know, for probably five or six seconds until it was kind of starting to swim away, and it just struck me. Uh, yeah, sometimes you can't get away with that. If you don't set the hook, they're gone. But in that case, they were coming up and they were they were taking those, but they weren't attacking them because yeah. I think it was in a slower stretch. So they had the time to come up and kind of uh, just easily ingest them and then swim back down to their lair. But yeah, you, like you say, you never know. It, it, it always changes. Well, weren't you saying something... Uh, when we were on the blue recently, even with streamers, sometimes they just don't hit it that hard. Yeah, that's right. And usually you think they're pounding the streamers, yep. and sometimes they do, but often, not often, I, I've seen it where it, it's the takes are even subtle on streamers. Yep. Mm -hmm. And if you're just ripping it out of the water, yep. then you're ripping it out of their mouth. So those are important adjustments to make. So what we're saying is, uh, remember, when nothing's working, you've got to make adjustments to give yourself a chance to catch fish. Hey, great time for great stuff from our listeners. This is a comment, a couple of comments on best fly fishing gear developments in the last decade. And in that piece, I made some remarks on rubber netting and, and how preferable that is to the older style. Uh, this is a comment from David. He says, on the other hand, rubber nets are heavier and not as deep as knotless mesh nets, mainly used for salmon and steelhead fishing. In the market, there are knotless mesh nets with rubber coating to prevent hooks from getting caught in it and stops it from absorbing water, which means it doesn't swell a fish and doesn't smell a fish and it dries easily. I think this is a good compromise because they are lighter and with a deeper mesh for big fish. That is great. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Total we, sense. We don't fish that often for salmon or steelhead. We're, you know, our biggest fish are... 20, 21 inch trout. So yeah, that might are a little bit bigger than that. But well, yeah, of course they are. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to be honest and say, oh yeah, mine are 18 lot to 19 smaller. inches. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But no, if you're fishing larger fish, that that does sound like a good compromise. And yeah, David, we really appreciate that. Here's another comment from JA from Maryland. He says, trout have no eyelids to protect their corneas from the rough abrasion imposed by knotted string nets. The softer, smoother surfaces of modern nets may provide some protection for these delicate surfaces, as well as for the trout's protective surface mucus. Also, the newer netting does not get caught on the thorn apple spikes and the myriad limbs and, and uh, uh, brush when bushwhacking through the thick streamside jungle as string nets do. Uh, so what if they're slightly heavier? That is right there is the yep. truth. It's another good point. Although I have to say, even on my rubber netting, once in a while I've got it caught, and then it, you know, it's on those bungee type cords, oh. and then it snaps back and hits you in the back. And or like, the back oh, of the head sometimes, oh, right near the base. You're oh. thinking, oh. That you know where brutal. that happens to me is when we're hiking up uh, the trail up the in the Bear Trap Canyon. Yes. There's a place where you have to right. bend over. Yeah. Sometimes and go through some pretty thick willows. Brush. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Next thing you know, you're like, where's my net? Bam! Yeah. It's right in the back of the I head. Know. <laughs> I know it. Uh, well, it's time now for Hook Set. Hey, thanks, those guys. Those are great comments. Time for Hook Set, where we set the proverbial hook and wrap up our podcast by sharing a quote that we reflect on for a few minutes. 
Well, today's quote comes from a Spanish writer named Miguel de Cervantes. I mean, he lived from 1547 to 1616, so we're really reaching back into the past <laughs> on this. But I love this quote, and it's so short you have to be ready for it. You ready? Here we go. There's no taking trout with dry breeches. And thus the modern waiter. Yes, I don't think Sims was making waiters in... Uh, the early 1600s. <laughs> I don't even think Dan Bailey was. No, or, but yeah. they would have been handcrafted if they were. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to get in the water. Sometimes you got to get wet. And, and even if you have waders, it's possible to <laughs> <Exactly>. get wet. <laughs> Reminds yeah. me of a conversation I had just yesterday with uh, a guy who wants uh, to try fly fishing. So he's asking me, you know, so do I need waders if it's May, at the end of May when I go fly fishing? I thought... You may not need waders. Now, we've had conversations about, you know, the importance of, if you, well, wearing them if you have ticks. But I was right. thinking, no, you should just wet wade. Just wear your boots, a pair of nice shorts, dry fit mm -hmm. shorts. As the quote says, there's no taking trout with dry breeches or exactly dry fit right. breeches. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing.